And uh, we get to worship the Lord together this morning. You have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 28. And uh, we've been on this journey for quite some time now, two years actually. And uh, which, of course, we've taken different breaks here and there for different occasions and Christmas and, and um, special days and stuff like that. But taking this journey through the book of Acts, uh, I think, has been very uh, helpful and beneficial as a church, hopefully. It has um, gaining as many points as we possibly can along the way. And last week we saw two more of those points. Number one was this, divine appointments must be capitalized on. And I want to encourage you again with that this morning. Uh, We can get so distracted and so busy with this world that we're missing these opportunities that God brings uh, us to. And we have to remember that no matter what we're going to, if God's brought us to it, He's going to bring us through it, and we talked about that as well. And the the second point was this, dedicate yourself to passionately and fully sharing Jesus. And we remember that Paul had these Jewish leaders show up, and he had this, again, this divine appointment, this amazing opportunity uh, to share Jesus Christ. And in that moment, he could have defended himself. He could have uh, tried to justify himself and even relinquish, you know, uh, release himself from what they were, you know, the Jews were trying to have him killed for. But he didn't. He shared Jesus. And he started with them at Moses, and he went to the prophets. And we talked about how important it is to understand who we serve. And we talked about the odds of Jesus Christ himself fulfilling all of the prophecies about the Messiah. And and the odds were just astronomical. It's impossible that one person, in man's terms, it's impossible. But Jesus Christ did that. And so we serve the true king. We serve the living God. And we we should have energy, we should have excitement in the fact that no matter what's going on in this world, uh, we serve the risen King. We serve a a God that's uh, alive. And uh, we were singing that song this morning, um, There is a Fountain, and I thought, man, I I love that song, uh, an old hymn. It says, till all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. Um, and we know that salvation is a, is a process. Salvation uh, happens uh, the moment that we repent of our sins and we turn to Jesus Christ, ultimately surrendering our life to Him. And at that moment, uh, the Bible says that we are justified. It's by our faith that we're justified. In the sight of God, it's a ju- judicial term, we are declared righteous because of Jesus Christ. And uh, we know, again, that song goes on to say things like this, Ere since by faith I saw the stream, thy flowing wounds supply. Because of the blood of Jesus, we are just, we can be justified. It's his righteousness, the Bible says, that is imputed, it's deposited. That's an accounting term, imputed. It's deposited into our soul's account because of him. Again, it's, it's by faith that we uh, are able to do that. And again, just the thought that one, not only are we justified, uh, but we are in the process of being becoming more like him that's the sanctification process we are being sanctified and then ultimately one day we are going to be rescued to sin no more and that is in our glorified state we will be as he is and we will see him face to face and what an awesome thing it is i pray along the way in this journey that we've been studying in the book of acts that uh, again which we're by God's grace, one message away from wrapping up this study, uh, that you and I uh, hopefully have learned to conform to God's Word 
and the example that we have in that first church, not only as individuals, but as a church collectively. And if you remember last week, we left off and uh, we, we read 23 through 25. It says, when they had set a day for Paul, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers, and he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening. Some were being persuaded by the things, that, uh, the things spoken, but others would not believe. And when they did not agree with one another, they began leaving after Paul had spoken one parting word. And this is what we left off with kind of a cliffhanger. He said, The Holy Spirit, Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet to your fathers. Verse 26, he said, saying, Go to this people and say, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You, you will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. And with their ears, they scarcely hear. And they have closed their eyes Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return, and I would heal them. What a sad indictment, right? That, that's something that the, 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 the prophet Isaiah spoke to the, the, prophet, you know, the, the, the Jews uh, back in his day before the exile to Babylon and it would be something that would resonate through all the generations of Israel because they were denying, specifically in this context, Jesus Christ himself. John chapter 1 says that he came into his own, and his own received him not. And so what a sad indictment that these things actually came to be, that the people of God, the Jews themselves, would have God himself come in the flesh of their own nation, a Jew himself. In the flesh. They would hear his words and not understand. They would see him and see his miracles and not perceive. Because their hearts had grown hard and dull. The source that he was proclaiming, again, Isaiah chapter 6. This is how it's worded there. Go and tell this people, keep on listening, but do not perceive. Which is interesting, right? It's, it's a different take on what Paul said came to pass. Isaiah was given the, the uh, charge to prophesy this to the people of Israel. Keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of, of this people insensitive, their ears dull, their eyes dim. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and return and be healed. What's interesting about this, and I want to point this out, is that Isaiah's message was to be an instrument for God, and it was to hide the truth from an unreceptive people. Jesus Christ himself would come and do the exact same, same thing in the form of parables, right? There were the, his disciples, even at one point in time, brought him to the side and said, what do these things mean? And he explained to them privately the, 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 what the parables meant. It was hidden from those who already had rejected him, and he knew would reject him, which is an interesting phenomenon of the divine, I think. I think it's, a, it's an amazing thing to think that God himself would come knowing the hearts and knowing all things, knowing that he is outside of time, that he would come and send prophets, as, as I said, come even himself, 
teach truth to a people who would only be hardened in their hearts, who would go into further blindness, who would go into further dullness of hearing. Well, what's phenomenal about that is they already sent themselves into a clear rejection and therefore a clear judgment to follow. Their impenitent hearts were already condemning them. And that's, that is so vital. So why is that so vital? It's because I believe that it's not just the Jews that experience that. It's even religious people today, and we're going to get into that in just a second. But there are so many people that have heard the gospel, sometimes time after time after time, have heard the truth, come into church services week after week after week, and hear the powerful word of God. Man, I, I was, uh, as Brother Tony was, was reading the scripture in the middle of our, our song set, I, I was I was just captivated. I've read that scripture and preached that scripture and and taught that scripture. I love that section of scripture. But as he was reading it, it I was just, I love it. I love, I love it. But there are so many today that have become dull and callous to the word of God. And that's a sad indictment. Romans chapter 1 says, for the wrath of God, verse 18, is revealed against he- from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made. In other words, he's saying that there's no reason for anybody to reject God other than their own hardness and unrighteousness and unrepentant heart. The only reason that they would reject is because they are denying God himself. It's been evident that there is a God. It's evident all over creation, the writer is saying. It's so clear you cannot deny that there is a God when you look at creation. It says it's been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they were academics, they were Religious, they had knowledge. But in their profession of wisdom, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures making idols. Therefore, they, therefore God gave them over to the lust, the desires of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And it's for this reason, Scripture says, that God gave them over to degrading passions, to reprobate minds. Their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman 
and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men, committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to that depraved mind to do the things which are not proper. I don't know about you, this, is, this has happened already, but it's, it's a perpetual thing of mankind. And when we look at what's going on in our world today, that's exactly what it feels like is, is happening. You, you see this, this sinfulness and this unrighteousness and these evil desires and, and all of these things, this rejection of God, this desire to, to just do what pleases the flesh and do what is sinful in the sight of God. And, and it seems like with all of that, it just gets worse and worse. It seems like God has just given the unrighteous over to those things to do those things that are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, they know what God's Word says, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they do not only do the same, but also give heartily approval to those who practice them. They know what God's Word says, that, that God will judge, and that, that sin has a consequence, and it's death. They know those things, but they continue to applaud the unrighteousness and those who are living in the wickedness. But this, I believe, underscores a major point for us to get and to remember again in this study of the church and what it looks like for us today. And it's this, point number one, there are many who will hear and not truly receive or not truly surrender to the gospel. There are many who will hear and not truly receive or surrender to the gospel. And I, I want you to think about those words. I, I don't want you just to pass over, gloss over that, that word, many. And I don't want you to, to gloss over and, and, and miss that, that statement, truly receive or truly surrender. Because I believe just as it was in what we just read in Romans, I, as I said a while ago, I believe that it still happens today. There are a lot of people that know what the gospel is. There are a lot of people that can even tell somebody what the gospel is. There's a lot of people who are religious and have knowledge, know what God's Word says, just as Romans just said. But they are living for the creature. They are living for idols that they have made for themselves. They are living for their own self, their own desires, their own passions. And it seems like the further they go into that, even though they may know everything about what the gospel and what God's word says and the punishment of sin, they know all those things. They continue to live for the creature and live for sin and live for the world versus living for God. Again, for whatever reason, people continue to reject the gospel and not surrender to it truly. And here in our text, the story's been the same for Many of the Jews throughout all, all of Israel's history, their hearts had become dull. Exactly as uh, Isaiah prophesied, their hearts had become hardened. And what's amazing in this, part of that the phenom uh, phenomenon of the divine, is that the harder a heart is, 
Either number one, the more it breaks in repentance, or the harder it gets in rebellion. And somebody comes into a, 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 a church service like this, or they enter into a conversation, and, and the gospel is shared, and their heart is hard towards God. Their heart is, 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 is wicked, and, it, and it's, it's, it's black, and it's being deceived by the enemy. And the gospel is shared. There's two, two ways, again, it can go. And if you're here today and you're saved, you know the moment that it broke your heart. Maybe tears flowed. You were broken. You realized that your sin was the reason that God was sacrificed. He took your place, a substitutionary atonement. Paying for sins he never committed. Paying for your sins. And, 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 and in that moment, you realized it was all of my sins. Forever he paid for. And it, and it broke your heart. And it broke it to a point of repentance. That godly sorrow, that contrition, it led you to repentance. You wanted to change. You wanted to turn away from that sin. You wanted to turn away from living for yourself and living for the world and living for idols and, and money. You wanted to turn away from that. And in that moment, all you wanted was Jesus. All you wanted was salvation. All you wanted was his forgiveness and to be accepted in his family. That's all you wanted. You know how that feels. But if you're here today... And you've heard the gospel and, and you love the idea of heaven. You love the idea of having your sins forgiven. You love the idea of being saved and, and not having to worry about hell. You loved all those ideas. But in that moment when you heard the gospel, you weren't broken to repentance. You were just looking for a way to heaven. You were looking to, to, to pray that prayer or, or, or to, to be that good person or to, to, to do whatever you needed to do to go to heaven. But again, it wasn't brokenness. It wasn't, it wasn't contrition. I want to I challenge you today. Evaluate your heart because what might be happening is your ears and your eyes may be continually growing duller and harder to the gospel. It's a lot of religious people who are still living for themselves. A lot of religious people who are still living for sin. And a lot of religious people still living for, for, for this world and for money. And, and they claim to be a child of God, but they have never surrendered. They've never been broken and surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ. Please don't ever leave a service like this saying, well, I'm just going to hope that what I did when I thought I got saved actually worked. No, don't do that. Be sure of your salvation. Know that, that even if it has to be today, that it's about repentance. It's about contrition over your sin. It's godly sorrow that leads to repentance. It's that that says, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm no longer going to live for money because money's going to, its riches make themselves wings and fly away. I'm no longer going to live for stuff because at some point in time, all this stuff's going to go away or I'm going to go away and none of that stuff is going with me. I, I'm, I'm not going to live for myself or for stuff, entertainment. I'm not going to live for any of that because none of it matters in light of eternity. Repent and believe is what Jesus said. Please don't leave this place thinking you're going to heaven because you said a prayer 
or you think that what I'm saying or what somebody told you at some point in time was right and true. No, contrition that leads to repentance is what's necessary. Again, these people, the, 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 the prophet was speaking. Jesus was right there among them. He was performing miracles that were undeniably from God. They try to blame it on Beelzebub, the devil. They, they try to blame it on, this can't be of God because he's, he's, he's preaching against our religion. He's calling us wide-eyed sepulchers. He can't be of God. He's got to be of the enemy. But all the miracles and all the glory was going to the Father. And the more he spoke, the harder their hearts got. And the more that he, he preached and proclaimed the good news of the kingdom, the more they rejected him and wanted to kill him. And I just pray that there's nobody ever that comes into this place that says, I'm hoping I'm going to heaven. I don't know if I ever repented, but I, I believe what Jesus said is true. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus himself says, enter through the narrow gate because the, way, the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. There are many that are on the way to destruction. Many. Remember the point? That there are many people who are rejecting, who reject and refuse and not truly surrender to the gospel. He says, many are, are, are on that path that leads to destruction. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Second Peter chapter 2, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be also be false teachers among you, who will secretly induce, uh, introduce destructive heresies. That's been full-blown for a long time. And it is increasing now even denying the master who, who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many, look at that word again, many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. It'll be hated. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness, reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. And if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter, and if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and he heard that righteous man while living among them felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. If God did all that, then he knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous, listen to this, to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. Remember that, that phenomenon I talked about? It's, it's something of the divine. God knows the hearts of those who reject him. He knows the lives of those who ultimately are still living for themselves, selves, for sin, for the flesh, for the world, whatever. He says, and especially those who indulge in the flesh, it is in its corrupt desires and despise authority. Daring self-will, they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties, whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. If God knows all of that and has done all of that, then it's still happening today, which is phenomenal to me that God knows those who reject him, 
knows who will ultimately reject him. And every time they show up to do a religious thing, showing up for a church, every time they hear the gospel, every time that they try to be a good Christian, their hearts might possibly just be getting duller and harder in rejecting the true gospel and the true Savior, and therefore true salvation. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and with all deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false. Again, the phenomenon of the, the divine. God knows the hearts. He knows those who reject him. And even in the end times, there will be a strong delusion that is going to fall on those who did not receive the truth who did not repent of their sins and turn to Jesus in faith and truly be saved, there will be a delusion that will fall upon those and they will believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who do not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. Again, the amazing wonder in our text and found throughout Scripture is that God in His foreknowledge and His eternal wisdom has known who are His and known who are not and will reject him. Yet we see Paul preaching to both. Both those in that, in that group, of, that large number of Jews who came to him and, and listened to him, it says that some of them believed and some of them rejected, but Paul continued to faithfully tell them regardless of knowing this truth about God. And now all we know is that it's in that moment that these rejected, some of them may have ultimately rejected him. But there are clearly those who would say no to Jesus. And there are still those today saying no. It's amazing, is again, that Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit to utter the prophecy that he did to those who were there. So in this foreknowledge of God, those who reject him, in the process of ultimate rejection, as I said, condemn themselves not only to a harder heart, but to ultimate rejection. And in this process, God uses the truth to make their heart even harder. That's difficult for me to understand. That's, difficult for me to, that's a difficult pill for me to swallow. Is that there might even be people in, in, in this room, there might be people that show up to this church that have known the gospel maybe their whole life, but the more they hear it, the harder their heart gets versus breaking in repentance and turning to him ultimately. Some of you have experienced that. Some of you, so I know for me, it wasn't so much of a dramatic experience uh, as, as doing it later in life, but when I was four years old, I went through the process of saying a prayer, and I went into the baptismal waters in a small little church in Roanoke, Texas. But it wasn't until I was 10 until I really started to understand what happened? I was going off of what my mom said had happened and what all of my family had done and, and what, what I, you know, thought I was supposed to do. It wasn't until I was 10 until I realized, man, I, I don't know that I'm going to heaven. I don't know that I actually repented and turned to Jesus. I realized that maybe I was just hanging my hope of eternity on a prayer. And I wasn't comfortable with that, even as, as a 10-year-old. And I hope that you're not either. You know, what's indicting today is that many 
people still do it. They still show up at church, still claim to be a follower of Christ. And yet the things of this world can trump the things of Christ. I follow Christ. He is my Lord. He is over me. Yet something in the world can take precedence over something that is his. And they're so close to this religious group here that were rejecting the true gospel. Because what they thought they already knew, what they thought they already had possessed in their religion, but that's all they had is a religion. They didn't want to fully surrender to Christ in lieu of their religion. They, they wanted to keep what worked for them and have a religion that worked for them and be at peace with that. And that's the group that their heart just get, got harder and harder. So the result was the result, verse 28. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will also listen. When he had spoken these words, the Jews departed, having a great dispute among themselves. The Apostle Paul would be inspired later in that same book of Romans to write this, How will they call on him? in whom they've not believed? And how will they believe in him on whom they've not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they're sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. However, they did not all heed the good news. They did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. But I say, surely they have never heard, have they? Indeed, they have. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I say, surely Israel did not know, did they? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous, jealous by that which is not a nation. By a nation, without understanding, will I anger you. And Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. But as for Israel, he says, all the day long, I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? May it never be. Paul says, I, I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Or do, do you not know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have torn down your altars. And I alone am left. And they are seeking my life. But what is the divine response to him? What did God say in response to Elijah? I'm the only one, God. God's response, I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. In the same way, there has also come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious, gracious choice. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. What then? What Israel is seeking, it has not obtained. But those who were chosen obtained it, and the rest were what? Were hardened. 
just as it is written, as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes to see not and ears to hear not, down to this very day, Paul said. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a retribution to them. Let their eyes be darkened to see not and bend their backs forever. I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be, but by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles, and praise God. Which again is a, is a divine phenomenon, that God hardened the hearts of the Israelites, that there were those who ultimately rejected him, and because of their rejection of the gospel and of Jesus Christ, salvation came to the Gentiles. Most of us in here are that. But God had a purpose in that. It says, to make them jealous. Now if their transgression, listen to this, is riches for the world, and failure, and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? But I'm speaking to you who are Gentiles, and as much then as I'm an apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. For if their rejection is the re reconciliation of the world, then what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the first, plate, first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also. And if the root is holy, the branches are too. And while we don't know exactly the end to those who left that day, who walked away and they were arguing among themselves, we don't know the ultimate end of all of them. We do know this, number two, there will be a day when the door of salvation will be closed. For some of them, it may have been that day. They may have rejected what, what Paul had to say about Jesus. They walked away arguing among themselves, not agreeing on what he had said. And that day, they may have passed away. We don't know. And so the opportunity, the door of salvation for some of them that day may have actually closed when they rejected the gospel and left that room. Some of them, they may have molded over and, and discussed with, with those who did believe uh, weeks and months and maybe even years later and, and maybe God in His grace and His wisdom and His foreknowledge uh, afforded those an opportunity to continue to hear the gospel, continue to hear about Jesus, be convicted, repent, and believe. But there's no question that many of them rejected it and the door of salvation was closed for them. They passed away. And they've been under the judgment of their own sins in hell ever since that day. And they will be forevermore. The door of salvation is going to be closed both on an individual and a global basis. We never know the last time that God's going to knock on your heart's door if you're not saved. If you're here today and you're like, man, I hope I'm going to heaven. I'm telling you this morning, God is knocking on your door, the, heart, the door of your heart. And I believe he's, he, he, he's through this preacher, through the word, through the, through the, the, the spoken, the, the written word, and through the, the proclamation of this word, the Holy Spirit, I believe, is, is, is pleading with you. Repent and believe. Don't leave this room. Young person, old person, no matter what, don't leave this room on a hope so salvation. Church member, religious person, don't leave this room on a hope so salvation. We never know when the last time 
And God's going to knock on our heart's door if you're not saved. And on that note, this underscores a great weight of responsibility that you and I have who are saved to share the gospel. What I love about this is Paul wasn't preoccupied with having the number of souls who believed that day. I love the fact that he didn't have Luke record, okay, take a, have everybody who, who believed in Jesus today have them raise their hand. And I'm not knocking people who do that. But there were no question, there were some who believed, they knew that, it was obvious, and there were many who rejected. What comes to surface here is they were simply messengers, and that's still the truth for you and I today. It's not about me, it's not about you. How many people have you led to the Lord? I, I don't I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with, with giving God glory and, and remembering those people who have led to the Lord. But man, I think it's, it, it can become an issue of pride and how many skins we have on the wall and, and, and what we have done for the Lord versus what has God done through us, what, what, he, what the work He has done. We're simply messengers. We need to remember to live every day in the urgency of the time that we live in. I want you to think about the weight of this. We may be the last messenger that God sends to someone. Let that sink in. We may be the last messenger that God sends to someone. That conversation at work, conversation at a family reunion, you may be the last lifeline for that person because you never know when that door is going to close for them. You never know when the door for the world is going to close, the opportunity of salvation. That's why we need to live with the, with the urgency of the time we live in and remember that we may be the last lifeline that God is extending to someone. In Noah's day, God said this, my spirit will not always strive with the spirit of man. You know, as it was then, so shall it be today. I want to read this and we'll close. For Noah, I'm sorry, for the Son of Man, the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. Did you hear that? The coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. This is Jesus telling us what it's going to be like. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. They were, they were living their lives. They were preoccupied with this world. They were all about themselves. It was all about sin. It was all about this, just this life. That was it. And, and, and if you know the story, Noah was proclaiming to them. He was warning them of what God had said, the judgment to come. They mocked him. They, you know, whatever, it's going to rain. It's never rained. Water's never come from the sky. It's always water from the, the ground. And they mocked the messenger of God. They, they ridiculed him. And they continued on in that until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. And look what Jesus said, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Isaiah asked the Lord, how long is this going to be? And the Lord said, until the cities are devastated and without inhabitant. Houses are without people and the land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed men far away and forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. Church, the Lord's returning soon. He's coming back. He promised that, and he's never broken a promise. I believe we're living in the days of his return. I believe that. I may be wrong. I may, I may go home before he ever comes back. You and I, we may all go home. But I, I believe that. I believe that we should be living with the urgency, that we're living in the times of his return. 
And that day of his return will be dreaded by those who reject him and rejoiced in by those who've accepted him. Don't be found among those who are dreading the return. I've shared this in the study before, and Jesus said this, be on alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on alert, and have not allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Who, went, who then is the, the faithful and sensible servant, slave, who, whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that evil slave says in his heart, well, my, my master's not coming for a long time, begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with the drunkards, live like those who don't believe. The master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him in an hour in which he does not know and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Obviously that slave didn't truly believe, hadn't repented and trusted in Christ. I want to urge you today, let's live with that urgency that Jesus is coming back that we may be the last lifeline, that, you, that conversation, people that you have, that I or other people in this room will never have, you may be the one. And I'm begging you again, if you're here today, if you think you're going to heaven or you hope you're going to heaven versus I know I'm going to heaven, if you think or hope, please do not leave this place. At least have a conversation. See, yeah, but it's embarrassing. I, I've, I've been a, a Christian. My, my name has been on this church roll for years. And, and, and what are people going to think? I will know this. Those who are truly saved will rejoice in your salvation. They don't care about what people think. I, I wouldn't care. When I was 10 years old, that's what I was struggling with. I was sitting there week after week hearing the gospel, week after week not knowing 100% sure if I was going to heaven. And you know what was playing in my mind? What is my friend, my best friend going to think? What are everybody in this school going to think? My whole family saved. I've said I've been saved since I was four. What is everybody going to think? And at one point in time, my, my brokenness over my sin and my unassurance, it finally broke me to where I said, I don't care at all what anybody thinks. I want to know I'm going to heaven. That's what matters most. Please don't leave this place without, with a thinking or a hoping. Leave here knowing you can come at this altar in just a second when we have an altar call and we can take you privately and talk to you. Maybe you already know what you need to do. You just need to surrender your life to Christ. Then please do it. Don't, don't leave here. Because I don't know if the door of your opportunity is going to close today. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. But please don't leave here with thinking and hoping. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you again for this challenge today. Again, we see so, so much in just a few verses, so many reminders and lessons. Paul was under house arrest, he was, yet he was taking an opportunity to share with these people who had great authority uh, to see him put to death. And he's just faithful to share the gospel. I pray that's what we would do. He didn't know when his time was up. He didn't know when their time was up, but he was faithful. And I, again, just a great example for us. Help us remember that. Help us, help us remember that we may be that last voice.
and that someone here is on this earth that utters the gospel. And I pray we would be faithful to do it, Lord. I pray, I pray that we'd care enough. I pray that we'd remember that you are coming soon and that we'd be found faithful when you do return. And I pray for those who may be struggling with their salvation here today. I, I, there's no question. There, there's at least one in this place that's not sure. And I, I pray that they would not leave this place. Maybe they want to wait till afterwards and have a private conversation. Lord, please don't let them leave without them getting that sure. Lord, I love our church. I love the people here. And I, I, I want to see every single person in eternity together with you. So I pray that you would just move on their heart, move on all of our hearts. Help us respond in the right way right now. And we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand as he sings.